morning, church. This Scott made that announcement about serving deep fried food. It just occurred to me that we still have portable bathrooms. So let's go easy on it for one more week or so and get through. Should have moved that till after our renovation's done, but it's all right. We'll be good to each other. So hey, listen, um, before we get into the text, I want to uh, I want to pray for all of the events surrounding Israel, but in a very specific way, in a way that you might not even know you guys are involved. Uh, we actually have a global ministry partner, Palestinian Bible Society. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but you all help support that group. Who are they? Very, very unique group of Christians. These are Palestinians, many of them former Muslims that have come to faith in Christ and they bring Bibles, they bring the gospel into Gaza and the West Bank. That's where they are now. I reached out to them uh, yesterday morning, uh, have not heard anything in reply just yet. I'm sure, obviously, it's a crazy situation for them. But you often wonder, how does the light of Christ shine in such a dark circumstance? God is doing it. God just gets it done. And very often, where the environment is darkest, the light shines brightest. And so I wanna pray specifically for those brothers and sisters that are in those really, really difficult places bringing the gospel, right? Join me. Father, we are just so fully aware and recognize the fact that um, the collective heart of humanity is, it is evil, it is wicked, and that is on full display. And Father, we especially now lift up our brothers and sisters that are ministering in these places, Lord, as they're bringing the gospel, they're bringing the light of Christ. They're actually partnering with Christian churches in these areas. Pray that you would strengthen them. Pray that you would go before them. I pray that they would see such supernatural works on your behalf. It would be unmistakable. We pray for all of that human suffering that is occurring, Lord. And even as we're going to see in our text this morning, understanding within your providence, there can even be purpose and meaning in the midst of that, Lord. But I pray that these people would be your hands and your feet and your heart in a situation that seems so desperate. Ultimately and always, Lord, it is for your glory we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So if you got your Bibles, we're in the first half of Romans chapter five. And it was Martin Luther who said that Romans chapter five is perhaps one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible for this simple reason. It explains the blessings we have as a result of being put in a right relationship with God. You say, well, what are you talking about? Were we in a wrong relationship with God? Well, actually, yeah. The Bible describes men and women, all of humanity, apart from a saving faith in Jesus Christ, all of humanity is considered an enemy of God, hostile toward God, actually at war with God. You're like, well, that sounds like an overstatement. Actually, it's not. Um, In fact, in Paul's day, the people, for the most part, that were in his sphere of influence, especially his Jewish brothers, they thought for the most part that they were on good terms with God. And the first three chapters of Romans, Paul just levels all of humanity. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And he said, essentially, think of it this way. Let's say you're in a court of law. You're on trial. Your life is on trial. And you're being accused of being at enmity or being at odds, being an enemy of God. How so? Well, on the wall there is posted his commands. Let's just say the Ten Commandments. Your life is on trial and and it's being exposed that you violate those commands of God. And so in that sense, you're an enemy of God. You wanna have nothing to do with, with what God says. It's like you're placing yourself on the throne. And so one by one, each one of those commands, you realize I have broken. You're like, 
every single one of them? Well, yeah, actually, that's the case. Well, I've never murdered anybody. Well, if you listen to Jesus as he teaches through the Beatitudes, it's really interesting because what he does is he takes you past the words of the law to the heart of the law. It's like he says, you need to read through the law. So, have you ever regarded a life as worthless? Someone cuts in front of you in traffic. Snowbirds are starting to come back. Have you ever had that thought, I wish that person wasn't around. (laughs) I wish they were no longer on the planet. Comes very quickly to your mind. And Jesus says, you know what? That's actually the attitude behind murder. If you look at a woman and you lust after her, Jesus says, (laughs) it's there, man. It's in your heart. That's where it starts. That's the attitude of adultery. And it's crazy what kind of wicked things humans will do if they think they can get away with it with no consequence and no one looking. We've said it before. Every person in the room has to a greater or lesser degree some little dark closet that you kind of keep locked permanently. And only you know what's inside. Now, someone might say, well, what about those that don't have the Ten Commandments? You know, what, if, what about those that don't have the laws of God spelled out? What about them? They shouldn't be held accountable, right? They shouldn't be put on trial for what they don't know. Paul says, okay, let's have a second trial. But in this trial, it's gonna be your conscience. You remember the story of Pinocchio? A lot of profound things in that little fairy tale. Sorry, Pinocchio. He had a little voice. What was that little voice's name? Do you remember? Huh? Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy Cricket was Pinocchio's conscience. And he would say, you know, Pinocchio, you really shouldn't be doing this. Pinocchio, you know what you're doing is wrong. And Pinocchio would do it anyways. There are things that you and I engage in, apart from ever knowing the law, if we didn't have the law written in black and white, There's still stuff that we do that we know intuitively. It's wrong. It's wrong to lie, manipulate, cheat, steal. We know when we take advantage of other people, we know there's something inside of us that's wrong. You know why? Because we don't want to be treated like that. So you have a conscience. So Paul says, okay, let's just remove the Ten Commandments. We'll hold you accountable intuitively. So whatever trial we face, whether it's with the Ten Commandments or with what's inside of us, our own conscience, uh, we actually don't stand a chance. We're guilty. And we have nowhere to hide. So this is a big problem, much bigger than what most of humanity realizes because human sin is the reason why the world is so jacked up. And the Bible describes God as holy, which means he's pure, he's set apart, And he's just, and so a just God can't ignore all the wrongs that happen in this world. If you read the book of Revelation, there's gonna come a day when everything is made right, but he can't turn a blind eye to it all. So this is a big problem because we all fall under the just condemnation and wrath of that righteous God, every single one of us. So that's why Paul, he asked the question, hey, who is there to help us? Am I gonna look to help from you? No, because you and I are in the same boat. Who is there to 
save us. And this is how he ends chapter four by writing this. He says, well, it will be counted to us who believe. This is why Christians are called believers because they believe in something, something important. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord. The Greek word for Lord is kurios, which means master. You serve somebody. Everybody in this room has some master. It might be a thing, a possession, or a person, or even if it's your own conscience and will. Everybody is enslaved to something or someone. And this Jesus, our Lord, our master, was delivered up for our trespasses, which is another word for sin, essentially. And he was raised for our justification. So let's review a little bit because the words Paul uses are important. Oh, he's so good with the language. The word counted is an accounting term. And it's used to describe both deposits and withdrawals. So here's what he's saying. When you place your faith in Christ, it's like your account has been changed, it's been altered. You have the righteousness of Christ put on deposit, but then you have something withdrawn from your account. And what's been withdrawn is your sin. And when it's withdrawn, it gets placed on Jesus. That's why Romans 6, 23, we'll get there in a couple of weeks. Paul says, the wages of sin is death. That's just how serious it is. We kind of treat it lightly, but God, being holy, perfect, and pure, sees all the dysfunction, all the chaos, and says, that's a sin problem. It's much worse than you think. It's gotta be dealt with. Problem is, we are the source. That means we have to be dealt with. So all of our sin is withdrawn. The wages of sin is now being paid, placed upon Jesus. That's why... Paul emphasizes the fact that Jesus was actually raised for our justification. So that word justification, it's, uh, it's actually a legal term and it means to be made right, to have a relationship restored. And that's exactly why Jesus came, to make right that which was wrong between you and the God who created you, sustains you, gives you life. That's why Jesus came. Now, what Paul does next in chapter five is really amazing because he elaborates on all of the beautiful blessings that come to us because we've been placed in this good relationship with God through Jesus. Theologians have termed this as one of the chains of salvation. So if you think about Paul building a chain, chains are linked together. So he links together these beautiful things that you might not realize, but it's important for you to discover. So here's what he says, chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, over and over again, he mentions the word faith. Faith is trust. We're saved by faith, not as a result of works. It's not what we do. We read this last week. If we're saved by what we do, Abraham, that great patriarch, he's our winner because he was willing to do the work of sacrificing his son. But even before he did any work that he became known for, he believed in God. And at that moment, he was declared righteous. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace. And that peace is with God. And that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained Access, key word, we'll talk about that in a second. That also comes by faith into this unique Christian word, grace, in which we stand. And so we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, I love to talk about grace, man. I, I, one of these days, I just wanna do a lengthy series on the grace of God. 
I've said several times, grace is, is the, it's just so distinctive, it's so distinctively Christian, and it's so beautiful. Every worldview, every religion has you working, earning, striving. It's like God is here and you're here, and in between you is a lot of broken glass. So you crawl across your hands and knees, and the more bloody your knees, the more scars you have, the more God looks at you and goes, yeah, you've proven your worth to me. Come on, I'll let you in. You won't find any of that in the Bible. Grace is God's unmerited favor, undeserved, flowing from the heart of a gracious God. And as a result, we have peace with God. What does it mean to have peace with God? Well, what is the opposite of peace? War. And that's literally how the Bible described our relationship with God before Jesus. War enemy. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus arrived, there's these titles given to him. You know what one of those titles is? Part of the Christmas story. Prince of what? Peace. Luke chapter two, glory to God in the highest, the angels sing, and on earth peace among those with whom he, that is God, is pleased. People mistake this phrase all the time. I think we can blame the Charlie Brown Christmas special because Linus actually misquoted it a little bit, a little bit he tried. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That's not actually what the text says. It's peace upon those who have the favor of God. How do you have the favor of God? Because you accept Jesus, his death on the cross, taking all of your sin that was on your ledger, withdraws it, puts it on his account. God now looks at you through the lens of his son, forgiven. You have peace with God. So I don't know if you realize how incredibly profound the scriptures are, how incredibly relevant. People look at this text and they think, oh, it's so ancient, it's, it's outdated, it's archaic. The very first blessing, very first blessing he mentions as a result of having a right relationship with God is peace. What does our planet need right now? You gonna tell me this is irrelevant? <laughs> You're never gonna have peace on earth until you have the peace of God in your heart first. You can't really have peace amongst men that's gonna have any kind of real lasting effect until you first make peace with God. And people today are desperately searching for peace. Peace with one another. And I'll tell you another form of peace. Peace within. People are desperately searching for peace of mind and heart, personally. Let me read you some current headlines from the CDC, May 2023. One in four Americans has received mental health treatment in the last four months. Statista, July 2023. We now have the highest number of adults seeking mental health help ever recorded at almost 48 million. Talk about the kids. American Psychological Association, January of 2022. Children's mental health is in crisis. Just a few of the headlines. Updated, June 2023. Child psychologists are sounding the alarm bell saying they are overwhelmed by the number of counseling needs for ages 8 to 15. New York Times, May 2022. Anxiety is filling our kids to the point of suicide. 
what Paul highlights is what the world needs. We have little peace. Uh, we wrestle. We wrestle greatly with what people think about us. Now more than ever, I, I do believe because we get to see everybody's highlight reels instantly. It's always the greatest hits, a best of collection that's out there on social media. And it's almost impossible not to compare ourselves. We live in a world that is absolutely filled with struggles and uncertainties. The, the, the division amongst friends, close friends, family members over dividing viewpoints. So many things are gaslit. There is such little civility in our conversations over the things we disagree about. We can disagree. I'm just talking about civility in those spaces. Meanwhile, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Oh, it's a beautiful invitation. It works only if you realize that your greatest problem has already been solved. You were at war with God. And Jesus came to bring peace. And once you have peace with God, your eternal destination is secure. Your biggest personal problem, what you have personally, has been fixed. Then you can begin to have true peace with those around you, even if they are at war with you. You catch what I'm saying? You can't control what other people do, but you can control your heart when those people speak against you or do against you you can still be at peace with them. Now, I should be quick to add that, oh, by the way, I missed one. July 2023, The Hill, one-fourth of adult children will cut ties with a parent during their lifetime. Let me say that again. One-fourth of adult children will cut ties with a parent during their lifetime. They reached back in time 50 years ago statistically speaking, to try to figure out what it might have been back then, they thought their best guess was one in 10, one in four. So I, I should be quick to add, though, that when, when, you, when you have peace with God, that doesn't mean the wars in your life end. Because all of a sudden, these other two wars come to the surface. Number one, war of the flesh. We're gonna get to chapter seven. It's, it's so rich. It's basically the apostle Paul saying, what is wrong with me? I can totally relate that. It's like, seriously, what is wrong with me? Why do I do the very thing that I hate over and over? You know what? He makes that statement some 20 years after the Damascus Road encounter. He's like, it's just wrestling inside of me. Is what I want to do, what my spirit wants me to do, and what my flesh wants. So you're at peace with God, but you're still at war because you still have this war of the flesh. Also, you have a new enemy because you just switch teams. The powers of darkness are gonna try to trip you up. More on that in a couple of weeks. So that's the first link in this chain of blessing. Peace with God through faith in Jesus. The second link, verse two. Through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. God's grace given to you freely. As I said, uniquely Christian. Uh, the key word is access here. This is extraordinary because it describes God in a way that previously was unknown, especially to Paul's Jewish readers. And here's why. Remember back in the day, 
when God wanted to communicate to his people, he selected individuals. Moses, for example. So God says, Moses, you're gonna be my guy and I have a message for the people. So go ahead, take a hike up on the mountain. And he's there with God for a while and God gives him uh, his, his law, his written law. And Moses comes off the mountain. And he says, hey, everybody, here's what God wants for us. And like immediately they start to disobey. And so it went, the people in their understanding went from God to Moses to them. And then there's this, this structure called the tabernacle that was built. And so wherever the tabernacle was, it was like the presence of God was there. Then after the tabernacle, there was this physical place, the temple, this beautiful temple. And then within the temple, there was this really special place called the Holy of Holies. In fact, it was so special. The high priest entered just once a year. It was separated with a veil or a curtain. Once a year, the high priest would go behind that veil and, and, and was literally in the presence of God to atone for the sins of the people. So it would go from God to a person to everybody else. And now what Paul is saying is, you don't need any human to intervene on behalf of you for God. You have direct access to him and this is what Jesus has done for you. So here's what it means. You, well, check this out. That's why when Jesus died, that, that, that curtain or that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple area, what happened to it? It was torn from top to bottom. That was symbolism saying, you know what? It's, now it's free access to God. You have free, Jesus is the one that gives you access to God. So here's what this means. You don't need me. You don't need your pastor. If you grew up in a Catholic background, here's the deal. You don't need your priest. Paul says there's one mediator between God and man, and it is who? Jesus Christ. Jesus, don't let any man think that they will give you access to God. That's what Jesus does for you. So uh, this is beautiful language here. The grace, the access of grace comes through Jesus himself. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God. I think these two verses, Romans 5, 1 and 2, might be the two most significant verses. When people have asked me, well, Jason, can you lose your salvation? My response is, man, I don't think so with these two verses. If I could lose my salvation, I've already lost it. You know what I'm saying? I lost it a long time ago. And if I could get it back, I would have gotten it back. I would have worked hard enough to get it up and then I would have lost it again. This is God's grace. <laughs> This is the unmerited favor. This is God doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Then when you realize that happens, then what happens is God's grace becomes this, it's the thing that melts your heart. It's like wax in the sun. Your heart is melted when you realize all that God did for you and what he secured for you and what it cost him. Then you become motivated to wanna to live for him. So you have this peace, you have this grace. There's one more chain link, joyful hope. Christian, do you have hope? Verse two, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, all that is to be revealed by God. So it's very important for us to make a distinction here between worldly hope and biblical hope. I'll give you an example of, of worldly hope. It might express itself like this. Someone might say, I hope the Cardinals win the Super Bowl. That's wishful thinking. I'm a huge Cards fan. I'm a huge Cards fan. I'm a native here. I'm a Cards fan. I hope the Cards win the Super Bowl. That's misplaced hope this season, okay? That's wishful thinking. Love them. Hope. Biblical hope is different. Biblical hope describes a confident assurance. There's a subtleness to it that everything God says is going to happen will happen. 
It's interesting, there's some scripture where Paul talks about all these great Christian virtues. He mentions love, he mentions hope, and then he, you know what he says? He says, hope, your hope is actually gonna come to an end. What do you mean? Well, because when you're in eternity, all of your hopes, your dreams for what is, they will be fully realized. There's no need for hope. It's all realized, but we'll still be loving one another. That's why he says love is actually a greater virtue. So you see what he's saying? There's this confident assurance in everything that God says, has said and done will come to pass. Now, it's quite natural for you and I to um, be hopeful and to rejoice in, in things that are positive. But there is an additional rejoicing that is supernatural because Christians actually rejoice in their suffering. Verse three, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because you know something. You know that God wants to do something. You have this awareness, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in our sufferings. How is this possible? There's only one way. Man, there's, there's a lot of suffering in life. Life is suffering. Especially when things, people, relationships we love, we're close to, when those things are ripped away from us. How do you rejoice in that? He tells you. Christian, you can rejoice in your sufferings because you know that God has some greater purpose. And if you can take all of those that pain and that heartache up into God's greater purposes, trusting him, you can actually find meaning in your suffering. I was just talking to a lady before the service who had been through a very difficult time in her life and she was telling me about how God is using it. As she said that, another lady came up, put her arm around her and said, can I tell you how, this, how God is using this woman in my life? You know what the scriptures say? Comfort others with the comfort you have been given. That's taking your suffering up into God's greater purposes. And you do that, you can actually find meaning and rejoice. Uh, you know, if you've been in church for any length of time, no doubt you have experienced church hurt. But I'm gonna hold up a mirror for a second, okay? You have caused church hurt as well. That goes both ways. <laughs> you've done something, you've said something. My, my point is, we're all guilty. We all do it to one another. And we are a collection of imperfect people serving a perfect God. We don't always get it right. And the interpersonal tribulation that we experience as believers, even under our own roof within our walls, is actually meant to bring us to maturity. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance is the ability to stay under pressure rather than escape it. You know, it's interesting, the psalmist, he says, God leads me through those dark valleys. He doesn't lead me around them. Isn't that interesting? That's really interesting. Because you learn something in those really dark places about who God is as he guides you, as you're obedient, as you obey him, as you stay close to him. He guides you through those dark valleys. He doesn't lead you around them. Endurance produces character. The Greek for, word for character is a, a mining term in order to refine gold, as many of you probably already know, they would heat it up, place a fire under it, and dross or impurities would rise to the top. If you have a piece of gold ore, that gold is stuck in that ore and it would 
right, it would just kind of ooze out of that ore, and then they would scrape it off. And then they'd take that gold and keep heating it up. And as the fires got hotter and hotter and more intense, the more the impurities would rise to the top until you're just scraping off every little, every little, but you really got to turn the heat up in order for that gold to get pure. And uh, you may have the heat turned up in your life, and sometimes that heat doesn't back off for a while. And so a refined character produces hope. That's a confident expectation. And hope does not put us to shame. One of the reasons why I think many times, see this in my own life, when I, if I start to lose hope in something, what that tells me is my character hasn't been refined enough. That's this chain that he's talking about. And hope does not put us to shame. Here's why. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, the Greek word there is agape. You've probably heard it before. Outside of the Bible, you don't find this word very often. It is never used to describe man's love for God. It's always used to describe God's love for man. Why? Because it's supernatural. It's not necessarily emotional. There are emotions attached to it, but emotions aren't the lead. Feelings aren't the lead. What is the lead is is, this kind of love acts in your best interest. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He He saw the state that you were in. God saw it. So he sends Jesus. He acts in your best interest. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. That's a true statement. Though perhaps for a good person, one would, would dare even to die. But God, here's the depth of his love. He showed love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were still unlovable, I would die for a family member in a second. Maybe, maybe, probably not for someone who's really righteous. You know, maybe you Mother Teresa type. For For a sinner, no, no. Romans 5, 8, this is one of my favorite verses. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That that is the depth of God's love. So what's kind of cool is if you know you're loved that deeply, man, you can weather any storm trusting that God is not out to harm you. And he's proven that because he demonstrated his love for you. So there must be purpose and meaning in the suffering. Meant to strengthen us. Verse nine, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, Jesus, much more shall we be saved by him from God's wrath. That was the problem. That was our biggest problem. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's incredible optimism here. It's like Paul says, look what Jesus did. Look what he did. He died to save you. So here's how this works in my life. When those little seeds of doubt creep in, I go immediately to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I, like Paul, sometimes will say, Jason, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, will you ever learn? Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, man, I am absolutely on top of the world. Other times I wake up and I'm like, man, the world is on top of me today. Sometimes I wake up and man, you know, if you're feeling superior, God's grace enters your life and says, no, 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 you're not as good as you think. Remember, you're a sinner. Christ died for you. Those moments when you're feeling like, man, I'm worthless, I'm nothing. God's grace enters your life and says, no, no, no. Jesus died for you while you were a sinner. When I feel like giving up and things are really, really difficult, if there's a particular trial or an, an, uh, these are the hardest, right? The ongoing, unwanted circumstance in your life and you kind of feel like throwing up your hands. 
I remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. What do you remember? What is the suffering? The suffering can be managed and even rejoiced in in light of God's love when we were unlovable, knowing that if he did that for us, what awaits us in this difficult circumstance that God, he loves us enough to continue to refine us. And you know, it's such a blessing to be a blessing to other people. And that road is often difficult. That's the endurance. But it will produce something in your life that would absolutely not otherwise be there. And you start to see more and more purity of character, which produces more hope. So Father, that's the space that we're in this morning. God, thank you as always for the good words of your book. You know, there are some people here this morning, Lord, and they're just, they're hung up on that issue of peace. They're searching for it. I pray that your spirit would continue to draw them. Lord, we pray for those unwanted circumstances. You have them in our lives for a reason. You continue to refine us. And at times when the heat feels like it might be a little too much, will you take us back to the cross and remind us of your great love? I just love how Paul roots us in that. So important. Father, I pray a special blessing over everyone in the room. I ask that you'd continue to guide us and lead us as only your spirit can for our good, but ultimately, Lord, for your glory, we pray. We ask it in the name of the one who makes it possible. His name is Jesus. And God's people said,